Pop-Up Theatre presents A Knife in the Fog, a book review hosted by Alexandria Tan. Welcome, listeners, to another Sherlockian podcast interview. Today, I have with me retired U.S. Army pathologist turned award-winning author and fellow Sherlockian, Bradley Harper. His debut novel, A Knife in the Fog, features a young Dr. Conan Doyle on the trail of Jack the Ripper, aided by Professor Joseph Bell, Doyle's inspiration for Sherlock Holmes, and female author and suffragette Margaret Harkness. This novel has received a string of accolades, including the Silver Falchion Award at Killer Nashville for Best Mystery of the Year, while its audio-narrated version won Audiophile Magazine's Earphone Award in 2019. This book is currently being pitched in Hollywood for a possible TV series. Book two in his series, Queen's Gambit, pits Miss Harkness against an anarchist assassin who has both Margaret and Queen Victoria in his sight. That won the 2020 Silver Falchion Award as Best Suspense and again as Book of the Year. Welcome to the show, Bradley. Thank you very much, Alexandria. It's it's uh, a real pleasure to, to speak with you today. So that's a lot for someone who only picked up the pen at 63. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so what made you suddenly begin writing? So I decided I wanted something to do. I needed a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You know, after being driven by the military uh, for all that time, I was a creature of habit. You know, I, I uh, still wake up fairly early, early in the morning and... Uh, so I, I need a, I need some purpose, but I didn't want to sit in an office and answer emails or move pieces of paper from the inbox to the outbox. And then for Christmas, um, a year after I retired, my younger daughter gave me a book by the author Mary Roach. Mary Roach writes a lot of, you know, she's a nonfiction writer. Uh, the book I got was uh, Packing for Mars. It was very well written. I wrote her a fan mail and said, oh, this was really great. I mentioned I was a retired pathologist and I found the medical aspects to be very well uh, described in her book. Well, to my surprise, she wrote me back and said, oh, thank you for your your kind uh, email. And she said, you know, I'm scratching my head about what my next book should be about. Do you have any suggestions? Well, long story short, for a while there, I was the head of the human research program for the Army. I knew a lot of people in the research community, not just in the Army, but throughout the Department of Defense. So I said, well, you know, um, we do a lot of human research in the Army. You might find that interesting. And it wound up, uh, she came to DC. I came up, I introduced her around. And I saw how she gathered the information and made a book out of that. I said, well, you know, I think I could do that. Uh, (laughs) How hard could it be, right? Uh, Well, pretty darn hard, it turns out. But she inspired me to, to get at least give it a go. That's amazing. Uh, so do you have a favorite Sherlock story by Doyle? Oh, definitely. A Scandal in Bohemia. And strictly because of the character of Irene Adler. In my first book, I have the character uh, Margaret Harkness. She was a real person. She was an author and a suffragette. So I base the character of uh, Margaret very much on Irene Adler. But I make a hint at the end of my book that Margaret was the inspiration for Irene. So you mentioned briefly in a conversation we had in prepping for the show that you delve deep into your research, even doing on-site research for your books. Can you tell us a little more about that? Certainly did. I'm, I had been in correspondence um, with a, a ripperologist, a gentleman who does walking tours of Jack the Ripper, as well as other historical uh, walks in London. His name is uh, Richard Jones. And I began corresponding, asking him questions, very kindly responded to me, uh, and I booked a tour with him. I bought the tour out. So for three and a half hours, it's just himself and I uh, walking through Whitechapel at night. And even though now that's uh, 
lit with electric uh, street lights, it's still a pretty dim uh, warren or labyrinth that's uh, still primarily uh, inhabited by immigrants. Another thing which really struck me that uh, Mr. Jones told me on the tour that was not in his book was Mary Kelly was the fifth uh, victim that we know of. And her body was found about the time that the new Lord Mayor of London was being installed about a mile and a half away. Well, news of uh, the discovery of her body ran through the crowd at the Lord Mayor's uh, ceremony. So thousands of people left before the ceremony was over in their Sunday best and went over to this uh, tenement uh, and stood in silence as her body was being uh, removed. Uh, it did not mention, but at least in the my scene that I wrote, I imagined that you could hear the noise of the celebration far off. And I contrasted the pomp and circumstance of the Lord Mayor's installation with this poor woman being removed in a plain wooden box uh, from the courtyard of the uh, apartment building where she lived. And I think that was one of my, my most effective scenes, which I wouldn't have written if I hadn't been able to do that tour with him. Right. And talking about how all this adds to the intricacy of your stories, you're also a retired pathologist. Has your experience in that field of study helped you in any way with your writing? I think it helped me in the first book because uh, there are a number of mistakes that were made in the investigation of the uh, Ripper killings. Um, the police used photography to document uh, the victim's injuries, and there was no standardization as to the angles or the distance, that sort of thing. So it was very haphazard. The police department did not even have their own photographers. They used commercial photographers who would then sell extra copies of the pictures to the to the newspapers, of course. Uh, the bodies uh, were initially washed before they could be examined by the police surgeon. So trace evidence was, was lost. Their clothing was removed and discarded again before they could be examined. Uh, the orders, strict orders were given in the last couple of victims that no one was to touch the body at all once it arrived at the morgue until the police surgeon uh, had a chance to do their examination. But early on, some evidence was lost. We don't know if it would have helped catch the ripper or not, but it was a very slapdash. Mm. So obviously writing a book or many books in your case, is no easy feat, especially when you're marrying fact and fiction, which is something we also do in our original Sherlock Holmes podcast plays. I think our writer, Scott McQuaid, can definitely attest to that. Uh, can you run me through some of the biggest challenges you faced while writing your books? Okay, well, I'm a huge uh, history nerd, and the challenge I think a lot of historical fiction writers have is uh, not to let the research take over. I could research Jack the Ripper for a couple of years and not produce a saleable book. One of the things that I found interesting was, uh, you know, I read Sherlock Holmes as a child, and I didn't understand uh, farthing versus a penny versus a half a crown versus a, a shilling. I had to learn all that. And uh, at least so that I could give an accurate portrayal of what something might reasonably cost at that time. Uh, but I didn't want to get into that in great, in great detail. So there have been so many versions of Sherlock Holmes taking on Jack the Ripper. I think I counted more than 10 books in a quick search online. And of course, you have these films, um, Study in Terror, Murder by Decree. And even here at Pop-Up Theatre, we have our own version of this topic in our podcast play, Sherlock Holmes in Ripper Street. So why did you choose to approach this subject with Arthur Conan Doyle himself taking on the Ripper and not Sherlock? You already answered my, my, uh, my question. It's been done before many, many times. 
by very experienced writers. So uh, if you're going to do something that's been done before, you got to do a little twist on it. So I did a little research of my own, and I found one book that was published in 1965 that involved Conan Doyle and Professor Bell in, in Jack the Ripper. It's the only one I could find. And so I said, well, at least I'm, you know, I'm plowing old ground, but it, you might say I'm using a slightly different plow. I like to write historical fiction that, you know, there's fiction there, but uh, close enough to the actual events and people that someone who knows the history can say, well, it could have happened like that. So it was fine. If I'm going to write a, a book, I said, I'm going to write a book that I would want to read. And so that's the direction I took. Now, Sherlock Holmes taking on Jack the Ripper has become such an iconic theme in today's society. I think it's almost like a Mandela effect. Uh, most of the general public are under the assumption that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually wrote an adventure of Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. So why do you think Doyle never wrote this adventure himself? Uh, it happened um, It happened early in his, in his career. The other, one of the things I'll touch on is that um, the first book, A Study in Scarlet, it took him six months of begging to get anyone to even look at it. Finally, uh, one publisher's wife pulled it from the slush pile and looked at it and says, you should uh, buy this book. So to placate his wife, he offered Doyle 25 pounds, but only if he would also surrender full copyright. Well, this was an insult because Doyle wrote short stories for boys' magazines. He could get 25 pounds for one of those. So this is a, a novella, considerably longer than anything else uh, he'd ever written. But finally, because no one else would even look at it, he sold it. But he was so disgusted at the time. And in 86, he said, I'll never write another crime story. It was a waste of my time. And he went to his historical fiction, which he thought was a far more nobler genre anyway. So 1890, he finally gets persuaded by an American publisher to go back. But I think because uh, The Ripper happened in the middle of that four-year hiatus between uh, Scarlet and uh, The Sign of Four, the next uh, home story, I think he just kind of associated The Ripper with that period of his life when he was pretty sour on the, on the whole idea of, of ever writing another Sherlock Holmes story. So are you going to write another adventure of Arthur Conan Doyle or maybe even Sherlock Holmes? Well, I am going to write another. I'm working on a story right now. Uh, I'm going to Holmes this time um, because later in life, Doyle was a pretty sedentary guy. And I don't think, it, uh, don't think it's realistic to have him off and doing adventures in his 40s and, and, and 50s. Uh, so I, I want to write a book that's plausible. Um, so I'm going to write the third book I'm still doing some research on where Sherlock Holmes is the protagonist this time, and he's going to take on a client that no one would ever expect. His client is going to be Professor Moriarty. They declare a, a brief truce, if you will, because there's an episode or something that that involves something they have a mutual interest in. And I don't know if I want to tell you anything more about it right now or not. But I'll give you a hint. The working uh, title is The Case of the Purloined Contralto. Mm -hmm. Right, folks. That's a little sneak peek from Bradley himself. That's something to look forward to then. So one thing I find absolutely inspiring is how after having an entire career in pathology, you started writing at 63 and have had two successful books already. And now you've been accepted into a master's program in creative writing at Napier University. What's the end goal for you if you have one? Well, I would love to see the first book uh, put on the screen. Um, 
there's a screenwriter who's written for a couple of successful television uh, uh, series who read the first Knife in the Fog, fell in love with it. And he, um, with permission of my agency, he and his agent are pitching it around Hollywood as a possible TV series. Um, one season in London, one in New York in New York City, and then returning to London for the third and final season with Doyle, Bell, and of course, uh, Margaret. But uh, I see it more myself uh, as, a, as a movie, uh, one and done. And of course, the character of uh, Margaret is critical. And I think she's the most important character in the story. And I would love to see Emma Watson portray her. Uh, I think that would really, she'd knock it out of the park. Yeah, I think so too. So now that you're retired, if you're not keeping yourself busy with writing, is there anything interesting that you do as well? The last nine months, I worked for the uh, local health district in their COVID call center. And now they moved the call center to Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the state. And that was fine with me because I also have worked for now for eight years as Santa Claus at uh, Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, part of the, the SeaWorld uh, family. And I enjoy that very much. So I got to be Santa again this year. And I've written uh, an essay on my Santa experiences, what, what it is has taught me. I also wrote a short story, which uh, has, been, has been sold by another by publisher to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. I think it's a nice contrast with my year as, years as an army officer to be Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, and who would have known that Santa would be into Sherlock and Jack the Ripper, of all things? So I'm just listening to you talk about your life and all the things that you've done and all you're going on to do. And I'm pretty sure in this podcast, you've barely scraped the surface. And it seems like you've had quite a few adventures yourself. Would you ever consider writing a book about yourself? I don't know, maybe as a character or even an autobiography? Uh, you know, probably not. I put pieces of me in everything that I write, obviously. But um, if I ever were to write that, it would be for my, for my children and my, and my grandson to understand my life's journey. But uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather put pieces of me in uh, works of fiction rather than say, hey, look at me, look what I've done. Um, yeah, that's not me. I, I have a very healthy ego, but hopefully it's not that healthy. <laughs> right. Uh, so before we wrap up, I'd just like to ask, are there any pearls of wisdom you would like to share with aspiring writers or even maybe struggling writers? Definitely. Yeah, there's a word in Spanish called la miga, M-I-G-A, miga. And in uh, Galicia, miga is the very center part of a piece of bread. It's the softest, the sweetest, the most tender. And they use miga to, to convey what is the essence. So... I say, when you're writing a scene, what's the essence of the scene? What changes? What is the status of your characters at the beginning of the scene? And how has it changed at the end? And if you don't understand that, then cut it. You know, it doesn't, if it doesn't add to the story, then, then that scene needs to go. It's not contributing to your story. That's great advice. Thank you for that. I think it can be applied to a lot of things outside of writing as well, which is interesting. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Bradley. Oh, you're very welcome, Alexandria. Uh, it was really a, a pleasure. The time flew by. And uh, you obviously I put a lot of thought into these questions. So 
you made this old man work this morning with <laughs> on only one cup of coffee. <laughs> I hope you get your second cup of coffee. You've definitely earned it. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and all that Bradley shared with us today. Please make sure you check out his work and keep updated on his future book releases and more through his website, bharperauthor.com. You can order his books, A Knife in the Fog and Queen's Gambit there as well. Bradley also gives a talk on Sherlock Holmes as science fiction, which is now available on YouTube via the Williamsburg Regional Library. You can find all of those links in our show notes or in the description below if you're on YouTube. Thanks again, Bradley, and we're looking forward to reading your next book. So remember, you can listen to our original Sherlock Holmes podcast series on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and YouTube. Also, remember to check out our YouTube channel where you can watch our past live shows and virtual theater events for free. To stay updated, you can follow us on Instagram at popup underscore theater. And for more original theater works, podcasts, trailers, casting calls, and more, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is your host, Alexandra Tan. I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>